Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Do you want me to kick it off? Oh, well, now I guess we're started, so I guess so. Steve. James. We got another banger today. Banger. Uh, really grateful for Debbie uh, for coming on. Debbie and, Reed from Lifestar. Absolutely. Yep. Um, she she addresses these questions with um, some really good insights. Um, and just just grace. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, she touches on self-compassion, um, you know, which is huge in recovery. And it's yeah. so difficult for so many of us to practice and do. So there were some themes to the questions this time. Um, a couple different, we had a couple different, right? We had a question from a man talking about how to do empathy when you're not feeling empathy. And we had a question from several wives of just, you know, stories half undone. They never got the full disclosure or where do they go from here? Kind of, um, how to talk to kids. Some of the, that's, I mean, some of the stuff that we cover, but, um, yeah, Debbie's awesome. So, uh, trauma does a lot of trauma work. Um, she talks in the end of episode about how they do a, a retreat for women in intensive therapy intensive. Um, so go to unashamedunafraid.com, got the information there, shares at the end of the episode. So, um, go and check that out. Um, so just, yeah, I mean, just, really a lot of pain in this episode, a lot of hurt. And I just love the way, you know, Debbie like dropped, dropped the truth bombs in there. Like it was straightforward and direct, but really like just honored our anonymous question submitters. And, um, I again, just want to give a shout out these to put your heart out there and these questions so vulnerable. Um, I know it's seeking out to get help, but I hope that, our anonymous question listeners, when they listen to this, know one, like we hope that we did it justice. Like we hope that we honored you and 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 I think Debbie does and gave you some real answers. And two, I hope they know how many other people they're helping with the courage to ask these questions. Absolutely. So um yeah, the banger. And um Everyone's invited to submit anonymous questions. Um, you can also uh, help as well, tangibly. We're now a 5013C nonprofit. And so uh, you can donate at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Uh, become an outsider for uh, bonus content. This is a really long episode. And these questions we didn't want to like take out and put in the bonus. We want everyone to have access to these questions. So we, we didn't have a bonus content with this episode, but most episodes we have bonus content. Um, and then the bonus content of James, me and Joe, who's just started recovery this year, uh, all working the 12 steps. So a lot going on with the bonus content and scholarships for therapy and different things. So become an outsider, check us out on the website. And if you are enjoying this content, which we hope you are, please go to iTunes and give us five stars. That's how the whole world judges us and people are able to find us. So if you have that in your heart, uh, please give us five stars. And uh, reach out to us via email, the whole team, and uh, follow us on social media at Unashamed and Afraid. Hope to hear from you. Let's get into it. What do you say? Let's get in the studio with Debbie Reed uh, for our anonymous question and answer. Um, so we are here, uh, with Debbie Reed. Debbie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, what you don't know is Debbie's like so nice. Um, <laughs> so we actually had another recording date and, um, we had some technical difficulties and totally messed that up. And so Debbie was nice enough to reschedule with us and come back even despite our follies. So... We appreciate you. Thank you. I would challenge that and say I'm flexible and can be accommodating. Nice. I don't know. (laughs) Not so much. We'll we'll let the listeners decide. (laughs) Listeners, you are the jury. Vote is out. Um, 
So no, but truly. And so with everyone we have come on here, I, I don't like the, and, and people have told me that I'm wrong, but I still don't like the like stuffy, like I read your resume type thing or whatever. So just tell us like, if you speak into a group, like how would you introduce yourself, help people get to know Debbie? Uh, professionally? Yeah, go okay, for it. So I have, um, I'm a LCSW. I have been at Lifestar for, I think, six years. And before that, I've been um, working in the residential treatment industry for about 10 years. I've done a lot of stuff with family programs. I do a lot of family therapy sessions. I am trained in a couple different modalities that are around trauma. So I would consider myself um, a trauma-sensitive therapist. I am trained in somatic experiencing and psychodrama. I run groups here at Lifestar in Salt Lake City, and I also go out to Tennessee once a month and run different trauma groups out there. So cool. And yeah. the somatic experiencing is the coolest. Yeah, I, I love it. So, yeah. I'm, I'm also a somatic Kool-Aid drinker. So that I told James, I'm like, you get the degree in counseling and then you do somatic experiencing. And he's like, what? And I'm like, not an option, bro. That's what you do. <laughs> it's Yeah, that's the path. You have no choice, right. James. Nothing wrong with that, right? Yep. As an addict, we're good. No, no. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to jump in here. So we're going to get our first question. So James, question number one. Yeah, question number one. Um, I listen to your podcast and really enjoy the stories of recovery. My husband recently disclosed to me his multiple affairs and other online relationships. We're both working towards healing and recovery. He often comments that when he goes to church, nobody else has sins as serious as his. So I really appreciate appreciate this open dialogue that others are willing to share about their own path back to healing and Christ. I realize that every recovery story is different. I'm just wanting to see how ours unfolds. I really appreciate hearing the story from the addict's perspective, but I wondered if it was possible to get in contact or hear from the wife's perspective too. I'm especially drawn to the most recent podcast with Matt's recovery story. Is Matt's wife willing to be contacted via email or even come on the podcast to share a little of her own recovery story and how she saw Matt's recovery from her perspective? Thanks. Well, thanks for listening. And um, so we, we've done the offline contacting Matt's wife with our anonymous question asker. So if everyone's like, did you just leave it hanging? We did not leave it hanging. Um, but as we were talking about this before, um, there was kind of read between the lines. Debbie had some good insight about this question. Yeah. Um, this question pulls up my heartstrings in several different ways. And what I see in this question from the wife, the partner's perspective is a longing for connection and being drawn out of isolation. And I also see that from her husband's, um, the comments she makes about her husband. I think one of the most uh, disheartening things about this addiction is the shame that surrounds us. And when we feel like I can no longer be a part of my group, I can no longer, and in this group, I'm talking specifically about my faith. So, social group, whatever that may be. For yeah. them, it's the faith group, right? Mm-hmm. They're talking church. Yeah. And as I think about that, what it would feel like to walk into my church and feel like I'm the only one with the scarlet letter or yeah. the black, the black soul. And... My hope is for all of us as we go along this journey of life that we can have some compassion for ourselves. And, you know, I often think of the Savior, since we're talking about church, I often think of the Savior. And when the group was throwing stones at the um, the woman, the adulterer, and like James's favorite New Testament story. Yeah. Oh, is that your favorite story? Yeah, that was um, that was a significant turning point, really, in my healing process for me. Was seeing that story with new eyes. Right. Use that picture for his story as a podcast. So yeah. Oh. We're with you, Debbie. We're with you. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So 
then for your experience, I mean, maybe you relate to this husband. How did it feel for you walking into church before you had the, that new perspective? Well, uh, very similar that, you know, I was the lowest of the low, right? Mm-hmm. That my stuff wasn't as bad as everybody else's. Um, you know, why did my sin... Or nobody else's stuff was as bad as yours? Yeah, that's what yeah. I meant, yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone else is worse than me. I'm you're awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. I nope. was too good for my church. That's why I didn't fit in. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so I just was... Um, the worst of the worst, right? I, you know, I used to think, why do I have to have the, you know, that sin that's like ranked super high up there, you know, in the ranking of bad things you can do. I'm like, yep, there's murder and then there's me. And so that's where I was putting myself. And so. What was the shift for you? It was that story um, when the woman was taken in adultery and when Christ says, neither do I condemn thee. Right before I had always heard, you know, maybe go and sin no more. You know, I was like, okay, you know, but when I heard, neither do I condemn thee, that was for the, that was the first time I started to believe that those words were for me. And if God didn't condemn me, maybe I could stop condemning me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I actually don't know that there's anything more to say on it, you know, um, well, I, I'm going to say the one thing that I feel like needs to be said. I don't care where you go to church. Doesn't matter. You are for sure not the only ones. Yeah. Pick whatever statistical thing you want to follow. Not a chance that you are the only ones who are struggling with this. So other people where you go to church may not be talking about it, and shame's a big deal, and that's common, but just knowing a lot of different church groups and seeing a lot of experience and talking to different church leaders and congregational leaders and pastors, like for sure you are not the only one. So I know we feel that way. Right. But like, I think it's helpful to know, like, nope, that is not reality for sure. Yeah. Um, On that same line, I have a client that I've been working with and it's all new, you know, he's, he's just come out with um, his truth and he's been talking to his bishop, and his bishop revealed to him, I had in my history a, an addiction to pornography, and just having that relationship. So this this client of mine has... Dude, that five stars for that bishop, by the way. Right? Right. The vulnerability, the honesty. Yes. But my client, because of his lifestyle and what, you know, what he'd been doing in his life, couldn't wasn't matching with his faith belief. And so he had left his faith belief because of um, the disconnect that was happening and he just couldn't maintain that any longer. So he left. And the 180 for him is that he's now come back to his faith, partly because his bishop was able to be honest and open with him about his own struggle and normalize and find some humanity in the struggle that we all have. Yeah. So, so when you have a couple kind of first come, like if this couple came in your office, first thing, like what would be the advice you'd send them off with? Like the people who are like, they just parachuted into recovery land and they're like, there's a jungle out here. What, What would you tell them? Well, so if they brought up faith, then I would probably bring up faith. I don't usually bring up faith in my office unless they bring it up. So I might, you know, talk about that story. But the actual action steps that I would do would be coming up with affirmations. So, and the way I do that is a little bit backwards. So I have um, my clients tell me their their story. A, a portion of their story, whatever the shame part of is that story. And then what's the message that you take from that? What's the inner dialogue, the thing that I say to myself about that? And then what's the truth? So my story might be for an, this is a um, example I use all the time in junior high, not junior high, but in elementary, I had freckles and red hair and people teased me. I don't have freckles and red hair. You can't see me, but I don't. It's just an example that I use. And everyone My wife's a redhead, but it's cool. Everyone teased me. And so the belief I 
came up with is that freckles and red hair are ugly. And so I'm ugly. So that's my message. I'm ugly. Yeah. What's the truth? I am beautiful. So I've come at finding an affirmation that um, contrasts from the belief that I've been telling myself for years, the negative core I love belief that. I have. And then I have them tap in. I don't know if you do, do tapping, mm-hmm. but tap in the affirmations and then start doing the affirmations. A minimum of 45 days in a row. I like to say 100 times a day, but I just say as many times as you can, 45 days in a row. That's cool. I like that. There's a nugget. I probably am going to take it and do it myself. So. Yeah. You know, and we have had um, a lot of spouses come on and, and share their perspective. That's why we try to do couples on the podcast. And, you know, sometimes a spouse just isn't, isn't ready for that. Um, and sometimes... When we know men who aren't ready right. to share, and that's cool. Yeah, like, exactly. I get it. Or yeah. that they never do. That's fine. Right. And... But then there's also, um, you know, if if you're looking for more of those resources that talk about, you know, what how women are doing their recovery and and finding healing, um, uh, I would recommend Rise Up Restored. Um, it's a great podcast that Becky Ruff is doing. Right. Um, Becky and her husband Richard Story are on our right. podcast, and Becky was like, "This is women should do this for women." And right. So she's with you, anonymous question submitter. Yep. She's on it. Yep. So with that, let's. Uh, Let's go to the next question. How about? Yep. Okay. Uh, this one says, I'm trying to think how to word this question. I struggle with showing empathy and compassion towards others. I want to show this um, to those I love, especially towards my wife, who I have hurt the most. When situations arise, when I know I should show empathy, I don't. My first reaction and thought is that I just don't care. It seems I can show some empathy and compassion towards others, but I really struggle doing this with my wife. Instead, I go to anger and frustration, and I just don't know what to do. Why is it so hard to show empathy and compassion to my wife? Isn't that the truth? Oh, this guy's being super honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's what, I mean, he's like, I'm trying to think how to word this question. And he's like, okay, here we uh, go. He just, just went for it. it. Yeah. Dude, unashamed. Yeah. Power to you. Excellent question. Yes. So you're going to get yes. an excellent answer. Thank you Debbie. for the honesty on this one. Well, I was, it's, as you're reading that question, I was thinking, yeah, I had those very thoughts today about my own husband. Why can't, why am I able to have so much more patience with the person next door and hear their long story and when my husband starts giving me his long story i'm like come on bottom line it for me you know (laughs) get with the program come on (laughs) yeah a couple things first of all i think that's human a bit of human nature that that we all do that with the people that we are closest to and that we care about another part about this question that I had curiosity, I wish he was here, we could talk to him about. But my first thoughts when I, or my second thought when I read this question was about, I wonder how much empathy he has for himself <sighs> and how much compassion he has for himself. Yeah. <sighs> and, that, and that's why I wanted to talk about this one um, right after we had just finished talking a little bit about some self-compassion. Um, I thought that was appropriate that we address this question next. And, and maybe if you can help us expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, I. what my experience has shown me when I'm working with couples, especially in betrayal, that the ones that we betray and have shame around how I have treated you, then I. it's easy for me to fall back into my addictive thought behaviors. So that might be turning the tables, that might be blame, that might be anger, whatever I need to do to push away. Three of my personal favorite strategies, by the way. (laughs) Um, Whatever I need to do to push away you or shut you down so I don't feel worse about myself. And what I've done to you. And what I've done to you. Yeah. And so what I do with my clients Besides working on self-compassion, self-acceptance, so many tools with that. Um, One of my favorite researchers with self-compassion is Kristen Neff. Mm -hmm. She has a website, selfcompassion.org, lots of resources there. She has a couple of books. Another 
thing after I do that stuff is really working to um, find the place where I'm going to get my validation. So, so often in relationships, we seek to get validation from others. And when you don't show up for me, then what do I do with all of this? Or when you are upset with me and or I've failed you, what do I do with all this turmoil when I've turned to you as my source for validation? So for most of my clients, I have them look to their higher power. And in the state of Utah, you know, at least 50% or more of my clients are LDS. And so I'm familiar with what that higher power, and if they're not, what is the, the source, the strength that allows you to feel connections with other human beings on this planet? Mm-hmm. And can you turn to that source for validation and start getting your validation from inside instead of relying on others? Because at some point, the others are going to fail. They're not going to, because we're human. And so when, if I'm always looking to outside sources for my validation and I've disappointed or I've done it wrong or they're having a bad day and not able to show up for me, then that's going to be a fail in what I'm looking for in support and validation. And what is the source that I can go to, to know that I'm okay, to know that I'm still seen and that that that's okay, that I that the source that's going to get me through to the next next right thing I choose. Love that. Yeah. Love that. It's, that's my favorite Lecrae quote, right? I mean, you, you both probably are thinking, so this is, if you live for their acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. Oh, who says that? Lecrae, more Christian hip-hop guy. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's the truth. Everything you just said is truth. It's just that that, that journey that that takes, at least for me, it's been a long one. It's not an easy road to hoe there when you're, I think so most of us want to get that validation from a spouse or from friends or from bosses or from all of that external stuff, either, you know, just depending on where we're at, you know, I know for me, it was like, yeah, I was going to get external validation by, you know, making a lot of money or, you know, being really successful in a job and from my wife. You know, and then, you know, or trying to pretend like I was all self-righteous or was righteous, but really was just really trying to just get validation. And in the end, I it, it came down to how can I accept me? Yeah, it's interesting when you said it's it, that's really difficult um, for me. Or it was for me anyway. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're the only one, James. No, you're not the only one. I am with when you said that's really difficult. I I have created in my own life different tools that I that I use often to create that connection. I have um, and music is one of them. So I'd love to hear the song that that quote is from McCray. Uh, music is one of them. But I have created such a pattern in my life, everyday habits, I guess, every day, to create that connection. So I can't even remember what it was like before I didn't have that connection and that validation and that source. So when you said it was, um, that's really difficult, I was like, no, it's so easy. But I can't even remember because it's been such a long time pattern. And I think that's the key. What am I going to do today to create connection with my higher power? What am I going to do in this moment of struggle to create connection with my higher power? Whether that's through prayer or nature or service or music. Music is a big piece of it for me. And... Um, then once I've done that creation, that connection, created that, sit with it. Let it, for me, I let it fill my soul, fill my body, and um, be with that for maybe five or ten minutes. And let my body and my soul feel what it feels like to have validation and connection from my higher power. Yeah. Love that. Steve, we got like... 
two minutes more on this question. So why don't you tell us some, a couple of things that work for you that create that connection for you? Well, I think the first is, um, as you know, we've been working the 12 steps yeah. as you know, so right. Surrender, right. I mean, everything you're saying is so like 12 steppy. I don't know how to say that, but right. Like surrender and allow and sit with it and take that time. And to me, like the big mover for me is like, you can't give something you don't have. And I think the problem is for a lot of us, we mistake working validation for that. I love other people. And Brene Brown says that in the power of vulnerability, she's like, you can't give love you don't have. And she's like, the one argument I always get is parents. Parents say, well, I love my kids more than I love myself. And she's like, nothing in the research shows that. And I think of all the parenting situations where I, as a parent, am like, of course I love my kid. And then I totally like ignore them or yell at them. And it's like, well, it's because I can't give it. And to me, that was the realization of like, without any self-love, like I'm not using this example, right? Like I'm not going to love Kayla. I'm not going to show up for her. I don't show up for me. And the problem is with our spouse, you have to show up the most, right? Like how much love do I really have to have to take a homeless person to lunch? Everyone's going to judge me. Not a lot. That's a very limited common humanity. Like literally they're homeless and you're like, okay, I'll buy you lunch, right? Usually that's a guilt factor more than love, right? But then like with your spouse, like there's kind of nowhere to hide. Like that stuff you've been doing to validate people and make them think that you have love to give, your spouse is going to see right through that. And so to me, that's a big part of my story with it. And I think a lot of people are this way. They're like, I do such good things and I help other people. And it was, I had a brother call me out. He's like, you help other men for validation. You don't love them. This is a validation thing for you. That was tough truth for me to hear. But it was true. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's, it's what you said right at the beginning, Debbie. It's like, that's been the shift for me is to sit with God and be like, ask those tough questions. How do you see me? Do I love myself? And, and to be honest and be like, you know what? I don't love myself at this moment. I don't love myself because of this. And then I can reflect that. It know? can be both and. Yeah. You can do this job because you love people and you want to do it and because you like the validation that you get from Mm -hmm. them, Mm -hmm. right? No, totally, totally agree with that. Excellent question, good vulnerability. Praise on that. I mean, all of them are so vulnerable. You guys have amazing courage. All right, so we're gonna jump into the next one. So, hello, I recently came across your podcast and I'm truly grateful for all the work that you do into putting this together for those of us who are hurting. Me too. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm a wife of a recovering addict. And after listening to episode 17, Theron's recovery story, um, a story of healing and redemption, October 15th, 2019, I had to chime in. I'm glad she gave us all that information because I, w- I wasn't sure which story. <laughs> just, just a tease. It's just a light tease. No, thank you. Um, over the past 20 years, my husband and I have been working through some serious valleys. And when I've heard the term fire hosing and the conversation around it, I thought I would share my perspective. Totally. Thanks for sharing. Beginning roughly two months ago, we went through another round of getting busted slash confession, except this time the pieces came in parts every two weeks for a six week period. Um, so when the, when we first discovered this on the computer, there was a confession. Then for me began the processing healing part. Two weeks later, I learned more on his computer. So again, processing healing two weeks later, even more via cell phone and private browser. And again, process and healing when, uh, when my world is falling apart and it feels like I can't even breathe, I would much prefer all of the information at once, slowly, humbly, and as lovingly as possible. So for all the addicts, I'm just going to read that again. This is a real wife saying, you've totally hurt me and I would prefer all the information at once, slowly, humbly, and as lovingly as possible over being shattered and what feels like a gut punch repeatedly over a six-week period. It may be physically exhausting and painful and agree, not an easy task, uh, for the offender, but it is the reason for giving limited information just to stay out of the doghouse for a long time? We'll get to that question. My husband response response to my question was because I didn't want to hurt you. Really? I wanted to put the question marks and exclamation points with that and get do it justice. Um, I just feel for you. Yeah. Anonymous question. So here's my question. What's so wrong with fire hosing? Because for the life of me, even with the understanding of how individualistic we all are, I can't wrap my head around it. Update. Since posting this response on your Instagram, my husband has been um, 
complete 15 consecutive days of SA meetings. Um, we are uh, uh, OTR drivers, and while it has been a challenging in our environment, I am proud of his determination, and we have begun counseling, and he's been an SA sponsor. Um, so by God's he grace, has an SA sponsor. Has an SA yep. sponsor. So by God's grace, he is for the first time on the road to recovery. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so... I am still in the healing mode and it's podcasts like yours that help me think process and pray. So thanks again for all you do. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. I'm truly grateful for, um, I'm a truly grateful listener as we travel America's highways. Thank you. There's some good ones in there. Yeah. I love her analogy that the, he's on to the road to recovery and he literally is on the road to recovery. Oh, I didn't even get there. Love that. So, can you just tell me, I think I know what fire hosing is. And I asked you this a while ago. Yes. Yeah. Well, we interpreted this as basically the... Like the dump, right? Yep, like the dumping, dumping the on whole disclosure all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, yep. I, I don't know where she got the f- term fire hosing. Theron used it. Did he use it? Okay. Yeah, he used the term. And so, uh, well, first I want to answer, I'm going to answer the second question first. Debbie, I'll let you speak for the spouses and why this is super unhelpful in doing it that way. For the, uh, for the addict, so I'll tell you a couple experiences with me. So um, there were several times on my accountability software, which Kayla would see, I knew that I had slipped and looked at porn. So it would show up Monday morning and we're literally laying in bed Sunday night. And she's like, Steven, am I going to see anything? And I know she's going to. And she's like, please just be honest with me. Am I going to see anything? And I'm like, in my mind, the shame is overwhelming me. And I'm like, nope. And I know, like I could play out the next day. She's going to see it in the morning. It's the worst way to do it. And, but I think we only see like shame and honesty, like shame is hard to be honest, but then people think once you're honest, it's easier to be honest. It really isn't like honesty is a learned skill. Like it's a growing thing. Honesty is not a light switch in my experience where like you're honest or you're not. And so like her husband's struggling with honesty. Like I've struggled with honesty a lot. Like it's not a and now you're honest. So now that you're honest, do it, right? We see this a lot like when people confess in church and they're like, is there anything else? Put it all on the table right now. It's like, why wouldn't you do that? Because like my whole life I've been dishonest. As an addict, I lie about things I don't even need to lie about. And so uh, maybe that's not the answer she wants. Maybe that's not the right answer. But in my experience, yeah. it's because the shame is so big. And yeah. so they just, so they're not wanting to hurt you because they know the second they slip, they're like, crap. I've done it again. I've heard him again. I'm not doing the right thing. And that shame message is you're just cycling on that. Yeah. I read a study recently about partners who've been betrayed and it was like really high number of partners that want to know the truth, regardless of what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And I think that just goes with that feeling that as partners, comes along where I'm walking on eggshells. I don't know what's real, like what's going on in my own life. I've heard that feeling described in so many ways. One that was most impactful to me was a woman who said that she felt like she'd been living in a glass house and she didn't know that it was a glass house and all of the shards of the glass were falling around her and she didn't know where she was or what it looked like, but she was being harmed by all the shards Mm -hmm. of glass falling around. Great analogy. Yeah, and uh, I think there's just so much unknown and this, I believe that our bodies know whether our brains know, our bodies know something is wrong, something's not right. And that desire to just know what the ground is that I'm walking on and be able to move forward knowing what I what the the ground like if I'm if I'm in a desert and I don't know that there's no water for me. I can't prepare myself, but if I know what the space is that I'm working with, then I can know how to best prepare myself and and survive. And the brain does not like surprises. And that's 
really what's happening in this disclosure is surprise, surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the episode, specifically, Theron says, don't fire hose them in reference to his information dump. So, you know, maybe you could talk about um, how to fire hose or, or dump all the information or, or fully disclose in a healthy way. So I do disclosures often. I just did one on Friday and I'm getting ready to do another one in a in a week or two. I like to have some some good time for the client for my um, all of my disclosures have been with men. So I'm just going to say yeah, men disclosing to women. Yeah. 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 No, we, we acknowledge there are women who are addicts. It can go the other way, but that's, we find that hasn't been my, I know that's, that is out there. Um, You just haven't had that experience. Yeah. I've had a few clients, but they have not chosen to be honest. Mm -hmm. I've had a few female clients, but they haven't chosen to be honest and do a disclosure. So I'll have my clients answer a whole bunch of questions about their, their sexual history. I will have them answer those questions in a letter format. So I have had had clients, not my client, but I, w- I was the therapist for the partner, where the client, the betrayer, just wrote a letter and answered every single question, and it was overload. So I like it to the letter to be in a story format. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I've done. These are the dates and times and places and people that I have done. I like for my partner that's been betrayed to have an opportunity to write out a list of questions and for her to work with her therapist about her questions and what she wants answered. Because oftentimes we'll have partners will have questions that are things that um, if they get an answer to, they might not ever get that image out of their head. It might be. Yep. Fire hosing, I guess, as you're right. saying. Yeah, the toxic information. Yes, right? Right. There's some information, the questions you just actually really don't ever want to know the answer to. Yep. So I like it to be in a letter format that he can read and do it in a therapeutic setting with where the wife has her therapist with her, the husband has his therapist with him so that there's support for both parties, and then share the information and answer questions and get clarity. Sometimes... Like with this woman's husband, it might be difficult to say the truth. So I like to work with it with my client for a little bit of time so that um, he gets an opportunity to hear his voice saying things that he promised himself he would never say out loud. Oh, huh. Mm. Get comfortable. Yeah. When I like that you're pointing to just like the timing of it, like take some time to tee this up. Um, because, you know, James just had a friend that they did that. And it was like, how about you don't do it on a major holiday? And how about you take some time and how about you maybe have some therapy set up? And so like getting all the information out there is a good thing, but do it the right way. And so I think the, the fire hosing, the dumping is like, don't wake your wife up at midnight and be like, okay, I'm sorry. By the way, I just looked at porn and I have so much, by the way, blah, 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 and then it all like, and also the thing I've, as an addict and knowing an addict is you won't remember everything right then. So as an addict, you have to take some time because for me, like I have a, a big acting out sexual history. So when I was working disclosure in a therapeutic setting right here at Lifestar, I, I was like, oh yeah. And that totally happened where, oh, and that happened. Oh, and that was really like this and kind of helped me struggle with my own denial and shame and pull it all up. Where if you just, you know, one night decide to dump it on your wife, like you're going to forget stuff and then she's going to, then it's going to surprise again and trigger it all again. So I like what you're talking about, the timing and, and setting that up. I call those type of disclosure selfish. A hundred percent. It's really about my own inability to live with myself. So I'm going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Here you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing, you talked about holidays. Another thing I think that's important is location. So I had some clients that I was helping do a disclosure and they were going to do it at, you know, at someone's house. And I was like, is that a house you're going to go to often? Because wherever you do this is going to be, you know, they weren't going to do it with therapists. But so wherever they were going to do it, that's going to be 
traumatizing for his wife every time they go back to that house. Yep. So they were talking about different locations, going to a park. Well, is that, because it's in the middle of COVID, so there's not many places you can go. Right. Is that going to be somewhere that she has to drive by right. every time she takes the kids to school? Yes. There are so many aspects of disclosure that I think spending a little time thinking about and working through so the long-term impact of it doesn't keep coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. All right, Steve. So this next one is directed at you. Um, it says, as I've listened to your stories, you have all mentioned how you felt numb to emotion. Yep. Steve, I remember when you disclosed to your wife with the therapist that she ran out and you were trying just to make your, to make yourself feel something. And I guess I'm just wondering why you stayed when you were numb. Um, what made any of you decide to stay and fight? I guess the reason I'm asking is because my husband didn't decide to stay. I didn't know if he was an addict. There were secrets. There were signs and gut feelings that something was off. I never caught him. My daughter found a text message to another woman, and I saw his truck at her house. And there were nights that he never came home, but it was all explained away. And I never got angry or threatened a divorce. I just begged him to tell me what I needed to change. But he just said, whatever this was, it couldn't be fixed. We had a temple marriage of 16 years and three kids. I listened to your podcast faithfully. It's my favorite one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So much of what you say and what your wives have said resonates with me. I don't know what my story is, and so it's been hard to heal when I'm not sure what broke. I guess I'm just trying to make sense of it all, and I wonder what I could have done different to make him want to stay and try. What helps someone wake up or come out of that numbness and make them want to keep what they stand to lose? Also, what have you guys told your kids? Nobody ever talks about the kids, and I wonder, and I would love to hear your experiences if they are old enough. Are they told the truth? My oldest, my oldest daughter was 11 at the time, and she is the one that found the message and called him out on it because we didn't have the proof. He wouldn't let us see the phone. She never got closure, and over the years, he's told her a different narrative, one that involved me not loving him anymore, and it breaks my heart, and I wonder how much damage has been done, and what I should or shouldn't have said. Thank you so much for this podcast. You have given me and so many others a deeper understanding of the atonement, and of love and courage and triumph, and that is the greatest gift ever. It's totally the greatest gift ever. And I, I mean, my, my one comment I want to say is, uh, everyone's story is different, but I know God has a beautiful life for everyone. So whether it's marriage or divorce and like her situation, right. Um, I just want like, I know God has a beautiful life for you and what that looks like specifically. I don't know. That's your journey and you'll figure it out. But God totally has a beautiful life for you. And so if you think because I'm divorced or be, like, if you have some, because, because this has happened or I've done this, God doesn't have a beautiful life for me. I encourage you to ask him about it because <laughs> I, I know that he does. And, um, I don't know that I have a real great answer for this. The only thing I would say is, you know, you're not an all or nothing person. So if you listen to Kayla talk, she'll say, I knew who Steve could be. The spiritual experiences she had around us staying connected was she was like, I knew who Steve was and I knew what his addiction was. And I know there's something there that's not his addiction and that I want to stay married to. And so, I mean, that's BS on the husband, by the way. Of course there was stuff going on. Your gut is right on. So whatever the extent of it was, and we will will never know because he's not going to tell us, but... Yes. Like you, it is not your fault. None of this is your fault. And I know you won't believe me. And I'll even say it again. You still won't believe me. Like none of this is your fault. Like what happened, like is not your fault. But you know, for, for each guy, I think that it's, it's different. And I think it's that they're not all or nothing. They're Mm -hmm. not a hundred percent an addict or a 100% this man of God that wants to come. I mean, when we were walking in here today, James was like, I totally want to look at porn today. And is having the struggle, right? So is James this great, awesome guy in recovery, or is he just some addict? And like, he's a great, awesome guy in recovery who d- does struggle with addiction and isn't perfect. And so, I don't know that there's this clear like, 
huzzah, and that's why men choose to change. I don't know. Maybe Debbie has a. That is why people choose to change magic wand. Well, I mean, she the, the question. One of the first questions she asks is um, wondering why you stayed when you were numb, and what made any of you decide to stay and fight. I mean, for me, I just. I wanted to stay and fight. I, I can't say what made me decide to want to do that. I just, I wanted to. I think uh, I'd had enough good experiences with God and connection that I was like, I need to find out if this is fully real or not. I mean, that's why I choose to come forward as I was like, I'm living two lives. So I got to give my life a full chance here. Yeah. For me though. But it wasn't this big God moving moment. It was just like, I'm dead. If I go that way for sure. And my life will be terrible going this way. I might still be dead, but there's a shot. And to be honest, that's how my recovery started. It wasn't this big God moment. That's probably bad, yeah. but it's true. I, yeah, I just, I, I guess I'm with you. I just sense that um, fighting, staying and fighting was, I, it gave me and my family a better chance of happiness. I didn't want to go down the addict road. I didn't see any joy down there. Yeah. Um, so. What I would do if I was, there's a lot of stuff about the numbing and, and the husband and he's chosen his path and why he's done that. I don't know. I can't. How does she get that. closure, I guess, would be my question for you is like, because she's not going to get answers, right? I don't know that she'll ever get closure through him. Yeah. What I do hear in this is her longing to change herself so that he would stay. And that breaks my heart. Uh, repeatedly, she makes comments about uh, what could I have done to fix this. There's nothing she could have done. And what what I would offer to her in the same way that we offered to the the other questions earlier is find your own sense of who you are, your own worthiness, your own... Um, self-compassion, self-acceptance, the ability to love who you are regardless of what's going on around you and what whether or not you're accepted, even by your partner. And I'm really sorry that she sounds really sweet, that she was willing to work so hard and do so many things. Totally. And find the core strength, the... Um, that allows you to find your own purpose and be who you are, regardless of what acceptance you'll have from those around you. And God will put people around you to find that acceptance and have a great life. He will put those. So that would be my advice would be to pray, God, help me find the people in my life or put people in my life who can help me have what Debbie just so beautifully described. Right. You know, so the next question she asks is about the kids. Um, have, you know, what have we told our kids? So it's, it, we're totally going to do an episode on it. It's been high on our list to do an episode of like how to talk to kids. Yeah. And so to be honest, I don't think we can do it justice here, but if you had to do it justice, Debbie, in like <laughs> a short period of time, what would you say? <laughs> I'd say it really depends on every, every kid is different and there's no right way to talk about some of this stuff. I believe in being as honest as you can with the kids and answering the questions that they ask and no more. And um, this situation is hard. And oftentimes, you know, this unfortunately isn't uncommon where the dad doesn't get into recovery and so the kids are left grappling. And this daughter's going to have to find her own way to be able to have relationship and love and connection, if possible, with her dad. And maybe she'll decide, I can't do it. But um, I would not recommend the mom saying negative stuff about the dad, but I would recommend that she's honest with the questions that the daughter asks, especially because the dad's saying, um, you know, blame-shifting mom. So that tells me he's not in recovery. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's Hard tough. Mm -hmm. We're praying for you. Um, so our last question. So two years ago, I found out about my husband's addiction. Three disclosures came later with information slowly trickling out, including two emotional affairs. Each time he would quickly say a few things and then say, quote, 
Well, what about everything you've done? Our marriage discord isn't about this. By the way, we're all doing that. Like, oh my gosh, she's totally, <laughs> that is so like, I've joked on the podcast where like, we need like a gun or a bell noise for like when it's denial or gaslighting. All those sound effects are going off right now. Yeah. Um, a, a year ago, after a few attempts at recovery, my husband left in the dark of the night. He had lived in his car part of the time at his work at, um, at his and at his work part-time i asked him last month if he would try six months of recovery each working on ourselves and see where that puts us decide whether we want to stay married he said i'm i'm happy to help you heal i'll come to your therapy appointments i'll answer your questions but i'm doing all that i need to do Bell's going off. Jason, our audio guy, is over here, like shaking his head. Straight. Okay. So I asked him if this means that he's working recovery. He said he didn't need to be doing anything. He was, quotes, all good. I filed for divorce on Monday. By Friday, the nation had shut down. I lost my job. He is still able to work his two um, jobs full time. He has texted a couple times in the last two weeks, but will not talk to me face to face, will not come to the door for our kids, turns away. If he sees me in the store, my question is this, what brings a successful, strong, kind-hearted man to live in his car, ignore his family during this time and pretend his wife doesn't exist? Is this hate for me? Question mark. By the way, Debbie's shaking her head. No. What, what are your suggestions for me on how to navigate through this? I am in counseling, group counseling, and individual. I've read many, I'm, I'm, I read as many books as I can find. I listen to podcasts, including this amazing one. Well, thanks. Thank you. Um, I'm asking your thoughts and suggestions on navigating this with him. I'm at a complete loss as to, as to the why of his behavior. My heart aches for him. His children miss him. They don't understand um, we have three adult children, one who is married and two which are getting married this year. He has put, he has pulled away except for the bare minimums for all of them. Please help a wife. I still love him and hope that we could work through this together. Mm, heartbreaking. Totally heartbreaking. So many layers of trauma, you know, the betrayal and then the abandonment and then the pandemic and then the isolation. And the kids. So many layers. So first of all, I, my heart aches for this listener. We cry for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Filed for divorce on Monday and Friday, the nation shut down and she lost her job. So... I guess we should say it shut down due to the whole COVID thing. Um, yes. So that our... Timestamp this. Yes. Yeah, so that yes. our future refer- uh, listeners would have that reference. Yeah. How to navigate through this. He, she asked the question, is this hate for me? And I did shake my head no, because that is all about hate for self. And she is the Meaning image. that he hates himself. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And she's the image of all of his failures. His children are the image of all of his failures and all of his losses. So it doesn't surprise me that as he's continuing down this road of not being willing to look at myself because what I've done is so shameful and I've promised myself I would never say these words to anyone. I'd never tell anyone the truth. How can I look at you? How can I be kind to you? How can I be? I can't be around you because it's a reminder of all of my losses and... My hope would be that as you continue doing the work you're doing, the group counseling, the individual counseling, the reading the books and finding the support, and that you'll continue to grow and strengthen your own self and your own core belief in self and your own recovery so that when the time comes that as we pray for him, and I certainly pray that he decides sooner rather than later to get in recovery, that you can be a source of strength for him as he goes down that road, or that you can be a, um, have the strength to watch him as he continues to fall and stumble down the road of addiction. So, and I and I think we've talked a lot in this episode about right getting our validation from God, our strength with Him. Um, 
you know, kind of all of that. And I guess the one thing I'd say again is like one of the most powerful experiences I've seen is um, when women reach out to God saying, give me that community, give me the places I can have healing, give me connection. And I think when we ask for it, you know, and our eyes are open to it, like it isn't just going to be like that God just like pours manna from heaven and all of her life problems are solved, but like he will support you and it will be through some things that feel very like, this is a miracle right now and and tender mercy that way. And, and some things that are just real people where it's friends or job opportunity, like God does want you to have connection to kind of fill, because no one else is going to fill this loss that she has, right? I mean, there's no, she's not going to get it from him and her, she can't control her husband, whether he decides to turn around or not. Um, but I mean, that's what that, our earlier question said, like, it's all about like the atonement. It's about like Christ is the one who can fill that gap for all of us. And that will be in some tangible ways. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It will be in some tangible ways. You know, and I'd recommend, um, for, for these spouses who are, who are struggling or who have these, you know, the husbands that are, you know, have left or in denial or, you know, I'd recommend they go to the heart of a woman retreat to Mm -hmm. begin Mm -hmm. to, um, find that, you know, that maybe that first step in, in finding that validation from God and what that looks like. Um, I've seen um, a lot of women find a lot of um, great healing and, and, fit and start their own true healing and recovery. And that was a huge stepping stone or milestone for them in that journey. And we have an episode where you can hear some women who went up and yeah. share how that experience happened for them, who have some similar stories to the questions that were asked here, very yeah. similar stories. We, uh, myself, along with a couple of the therapists, female therapists here, also do weekend intensives. So it's about 20 hours of therapy in two or three days, pretty intensive. And um, I think like a kickstart to wherever you're at in your in your own recovery. What I know about um, these women's stories is it's easy to stay in that place of anger and resentment and bitterness and lashing out. And the hard work is taking a look at what's happened in my life, why what what are ways this is a really hard thing to say right now but it's the truth what are ways that i have contributed to being in this place in my life what are the behaviors that i overlooked what's going on with my own boundaries um where are places that i need to take a look at myself but that's internal that's not saying what could i have done differently so he would have stayed married to me and not leave right don't right. go there no no that's no. crap yes this is about doing the therapeutic work. What are the ways that um, I allow people to violate my boundaries? Yeah. What are the ways that I don't take a stand for myself or for the things that are important to me? And doing that work is really hard work. The easy work, easy thing to do is name calling, blaming, anger, resentment, but doing that hard work and making the changes that I need to make personally to with, with my higher power, with myself, with my boundaries, what I know is that when I do that work, finding my own purpose in my own life, that I have fulfillment and joy regardless of who shows up in my space. Love that. Well said. Well said. And I don't know we can... At, there's nothing to add nope, to that. Nope. However, you uh, dropped a little gold nugget there and just kind of moved on. How do we find out about the intensive? I'm assuming that James and I aren't invited. Maybe you'd let Jason go. But um, We haven't done a men's. I've had a request a couple of times for men's and couples intensives, and we haven't done them yet, but mostly because we haven't um, got done the marketing no, for no it. No judgment, but for these yeah. women who want to come, how do I find so it? So we have a website. It's, it is Soul, S-O-L, Healing for Women. So S-O-L-H-E-A-L-I-N-G-F-O-R-W-O-M-E-N.com. 
So that's the website. So we'll have all the, so go to the website or you can go to right unashamed We'll have with this post, the information where you can find both just Debbie individually and also find the retreat, but give us a quick, like the intensive, just like tell us kind of format, give us a quick little descriptor. I can also be found really easily at Lifestar. So that's an easy place to find me. So we start the intensives on Thursday afternoon at four. We go all day Friday from about eight in the morning till about um, five in the afternoon. And then Saturday from about eight in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon. And it's a lot of group work. We do a lot of psychodrama. Psychodrama would be taking an experience that has happened in the past and recreating it in the future or recreating it in the present and getting the outcome that the wished for outcome or solutions and options. And it's a really powerful, powerful work. It's my favorite work for healing with trauma. We do a lot of somatic experiencing. We do some, um, I guess you'd call adventure, mm-hmm. you know, some experiential. It's very experiential. I've only been to a few places. I haven't been to any places in Utah that, that offers the same type of experience. Cool. And where are you holding them? Um, right now, we are holding them in Sundance, Utah. Okay, cool. And, which is beautiful, by the way, if you yes. have not been. Super yeah. beautiful. And so. because of COVID, we don't have our current schedule up right now. We right. kind of everything's like the world. Has but head shifted. to the website, head to our website. We'll get you all the information. Um, Debbie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some yeah, awesome wisdom. Thanks for having me. So, and um, to all of those who submitted their questions, your courage is truly amazing. Yep. Uh, thank you. We honor yeah. you and thank you. And until next time, remain unashamed and unafraid. Yeah.